Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. This word parakletos means somebody who draws alongside of you, and that's what Jesus did. When he ascended, he says, I must go to my Father, and then I will send another comforter, another helper, just like me, but I'll be able to do it through on, world, on a worldwide basis. It's not just going to be physically to you 12 guys. I'm going to be able to do it by my Spirit worldwide. Welcome to today's edition of Truth in Christ Radio. As we continue our study of the Apostle John's letters, we learn that Jesus continues to be our advocate to the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous means that Jesus is fully qualified to serve as our advocate because he himself is sinlessly perfect. He has passed heaven's bar exam and is qualified to represent clients in heaven's court of law. We need Jesus as our advocate because Satan accuses us before God. We need to distinguish between the condemning accusation of Satan and the loving conviction of the Holy Spirit. And now, let's open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 2 and follow along with Pastor Rob. 1 John chapter 2, and last week we got uh, from verse 5 of chapter 1 through uh, verse 2 of chapter 2, but we're going to start fresh in chapter 2 and probably just get down through verse 11 today. Hopefully we'll get down there. There's a lot in this chapter, and I don't apologize for taking our time through it because there's a lot here, and it's really good for us. It's really good for us. And so let's just read uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. Let me just read it to you. He says, My little children, these things I write to you, John speaking, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Speaking of Jesus. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. And he who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother 
is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Blinded his eyes. Father, we just thank you for this epistle, Lord, of John, and we pray that, Lord, you'd open it to us, that you'd speak to us, and help us to learn all that we can from this, Lord. Put it in practice. Lord, not just to have head knowledge, but to to, to live it, Father. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go back to first one there. John, I love him. Uh, of all the apostles, I, I really relate to Peter because Peter is kind of goofy. I, I feel like I'm kind of like Peter, uh, usually having my foot in my mouth. But John was just one of these serious mystics. He was just one of these serious kind of guys. But he wasn't afraid to show his love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love that about him. And neither should you be ashamed or, or feel awkward in showing your love to Jesus. Because after all, if you think about what he has done for you and me, doesn't he deserve all of our affection, all of our attention? Doesn't he deserve everything from us? If he gave his life that we might live eternally, eternally. I mean, think of how significant it would be just that we would live another 70 or 80 years from this moment. That would be a pretty big thing. But folks, we're talking about eternity. Eternity here. And I love what John says to these new recruits, these new converts there in the first century. He writes, he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. This phrase, little children, is is such a wonderful endearment. Jesus used this. And basically what it means is a darling, a darling. It can also refer to an infant or someone who is um, like a teacher would address a disciple or a student. And that's really where John's heart is. He's addressing them as little children because now he is in Ephesus writing this letter. He's in his latter days. He's, in his, he's an old man at this point. He's living in Ephesus and he's writing these letters to encourage the churches. And this phrase he uses quite often in this letter of his, we see it seven different times. And in seven different places throughout First John, we see it. And we're certainly not going to look at all of them, but he uses it quite often. So he says, these things I write to you. And this is another phrase that he uses, so that you may not sin. These things I write to you. He's got a purpose behind this letter. And, so, and this phrase occurs three different times. And it's important because this is why he wrote to them. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, here it says, These things I write to you that your joy may be full. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And then later on in the same chapter, verse 26, he says, These things I write to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Was he concerned about deception? Absolutely. There was a lot of deception right at the beginning of the church. And let me tell you, the church has been going on for 1,900 years now. And it's even worse than it's ever been. The deceptions are varied, and there's a lot of people involved in the deceptions. And the devil is ramping things up. And that's why it's so important for you and I to stay grounded. That's why it's important that you need to be in the Word of God, not just uh, and to be doers of it, not just hear it. Because when we do it, something really wonderful happens when we put into practice what we have heard, what we've learned. You own it at that point. Do you understand? Because until I do it, I don't see the benefit of it. And when I do see the benefit of it, because when I do it, I see the benefit, not only will people see it, and they'll be encouraged to do the same, 
but you will be emboldened to continue to do what the Word of God says. It's not so much that you hear it, but you have to do it. So John tells them, these things I write to you. And he's doing this. He loves them. He loves them. And his intention here is certainly not to discourage them, but rather to encourage them and to keep them from sin. But when they do sin, notice there is an advocate. An advocate. And we're going to get to that. This word sin is hamartino, excuse me, and it literally means to miss the mark, to miss the mark. You, You shoot at something and you miss it and you miss the prize. You don't get the prize, and that's what sin is. When we sin, we miss the mark of God's holiness, of his standard, and we don't receive a reward when we miss that. We don't receive the reward. But I love what John says here in this second part of the verse, if anyone sins. If anyone sins, or we are not perfect people. Is there anyone here this morning that has not sinned? There's not a one of us. We are going to sin. It's not that we purposely set out to sin, but because we have a sin nature, and certainly we have the Spirit of God with the new nature indwelling us, wooing us, really, and encouraging us not to sin, giving us power not to continue in sin. Your life may not be sinless, but you should be sinning less than when you did before you came to Christ. Does that make sense? You are not sin less, but we should be sinning less because we're more aware, we're more accountable, and hopefully the love of God will constrain us. Hopefully the love of God will get us to the point where we're like, Lord, I don't want to do this anymore, whatever it is. Each one of us knows the things, the buttons, the things that drive us to do certain sinful things, behaviors. Take a good look at those and examine them. Look at them. Don't give any place to them. Don't give them any power any longer. The power of God in you is greater to withstand those things. But we are not perfect. The Bible says that. In Romans 3, verse 10, it says there's no one perfect. No, not one. In Romans 3, 23, it says, And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. Boy, is that a bummer. Aren't you glad to come to church and be told that you're a sinner? Hey, it's part of it. Many churches aren't sharing what I'm sharing with you. But they need to share it. Because why do I need to be saved? Because I'm a sinner. I was born with a sin nature. I need to be born again. Jesus said that to Nicodemus. And I love how John includes himself in this. Notice in 1 John chapter 1, remember in verses 8 through 10, you can look at that verse right now. It's probably just on the other page to the left of your Bible there. Notice what he says. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Notice the pronouns, we and us. He includes himself, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, us, our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. We should make sure that when we present these things to unbelievers that we don't act as if we have arrived or have it all together, but rather share the truth because we are in the same boat as they are. The only difference is we've made that decision and they have not. Okay, It's very important that we don't remove the teeth from the gospel. The teeth from the gospel, the thing that bites, the thing that hurts, is the, th- is the fact that we are sinners and we're destined, we're bound for hell if we don't change. That is where the gospel bites. And who wants to tell somebody that? Everybody is so tempted when they share the truth of the gospel. Jesus loves you. You're going to heaven. 
All, all your problems are going to go away. That credit score that's three right now, that's going to be 785. All oh, the money coming in, it's going to come in, yachts and trips to the Mediterranean. Man, the food, the, everything is great, the gold shoes. No, we can't tell them that. We have to tell them the truth. That's the only way I change is when I'm told the truth. I don't want somebody telling me a lie. I don't want somebody telling me the smooth things that are going to perk my curiosity and make me feel good about myself. That's part of the problem with our society today. Everyone wants to feel good about themselves. Oh, but if you don't say that something good about yourself, you'll hurt the self-esteem. Hey, listen, there's not a problem with self-esteem. Jesus was never concerned about self, low self-esteem. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. But first, there comes the humbling. You have to humble yourself and then guess what? He lifts you up. And that's the greatest esteem possible because it's nothing to do with me. It's about him. He says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate. This word advocate is parakletos. And uh, we have an advocate. We have an attorney. We have an intercessor, a consoler, a comforter. That's really what the word means. And before I was saved, there were many times, looking back, that I know that the Lord was drawing alongside of me. He was an advocate. He was a comforter. He was drawing alongside of me. And even though I ignored him for 24 years, finally he got my attention. And I love that. It's a mystery. It's a mystery to you, too, perhaps, why God chose you, why he intervened in the way that he did in your life at that specific time. And perhaps you know what that time is. All of a sudden, something just clicks. You're like, you know what? I'm sick of living like this. I don't want to live like this anymore. I know I'm doing wrong. The Bible tells me that I'm doing wrong. And I'm guilty, and I feel horrible about it. But did you know that Jesus Christ, the righteous, is your defending attorney? And even outside of Christ, people want and they need an attorney. But let me tell you something wonderful about Jesus. He's not only your attorney, but he's also the one who pays the price. Can you imagine going before the court, before the judge? Judge, this man was caught laundering money, and he also killed three people. He killed three people. He made an attempt on the president's life. He robbed a bank. He stole money from the church. He deserves death. And the judge will say, you're right, he does deserve death. And then the, for the attorney to look at the judge and say, I'm going to pay that price for him. <laughs> what? Can you imagine the guy, the perpetrator, looking at his attorney? Are you kidding? you You're not only going to try and defend me, but you're willing to take the price that I deserve. Yeah. Has that ever happened? It only happened once. Happened with Jesus. No one does that. I love it because 1 Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. What? The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. This word advocate, parakletos, we know... Uh, It occurs elsewhere in the scripture. It actually occurs only five times in the New Testament. If you have a King James Version Bible, this word uh, parakletos, this Greek word is often translated comforter. If you have a new, if you have a King James Version Bible, if you have a new King James Version Bible, you'll see it in John's Gospel as helper. And I'm just going to read them to you. You can write these scriptures down, but this word parakletos means somebody who draws alongside of you. And that's what Jesus did. When he ascended, he says, I must go to my Father, and then I will send another comforter, another helper, just like me, but I'll be able to do it through on, world, on a worldwide basis. It's not just going to be physically to you 12 guys. I'm going to be able to do it by my spirit worldwide. Turn with me, actually, to John chapter 14. 
And keep your finger there in John 14, because we're going to look at John 15 in, in, a, in, a, in a little bit here. In John 14, beginning in verse 15, this word paraclete, or parakletos, means to draw alongside an advocate. That's who Jesus is. He is our advocate. And the, hel- and the Holy Spirit is also our helper, our comforter, our advocate. In John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Another helper, that's the parakletos, that he may abide with you forever. He may abide with you. Look down in the same chapter in verse 25. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus said, while you were, while being present with you, but the helper, notice, the parakletos, the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now look at chapter 15, verse 26. And these are the only times this word occurs in the whole entire New Testament. John chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will do what? He will testify of me. He's an advocate. He draws alongside. He is the one, your counselor, your consoler, your advocate. And look in John chapter 16, verses 5 through 7. Just turn over a page, verse 5. But now, Jesus says, I go away to him. I go to my Father who sent me. And none of you ask me where are you going, but because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the parakletos, the advocate, the counselor, the comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, notice, I will send him to you. And we know that that did happen on the day of Pentecost, didn't it? Jesus did ascend. And then what happened? He says, wait for the promise of the Father in Jerusalem. They're waiting there in the upper room, all 120 of them, as they waited and the, and the sound of a rushing wind came in and baptized them all in the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God did come. And he has come. In verse 2 it says, And he himself, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. This, this word, it just means an atonement. It means an appeasing. See, God demands perfection, and he was not appeased. He wasn't satisfied until there was a right sacrifice. The blood of bulls and goats were not the thing that did the job completely. It put it away temporarily, but it didn't deal with it. And Jesus died once and for all. He is the propitiation, which means he is the expiator. That's a nice fun word. Use that often at work tomorrow. Expiation. Have you been expiated, brother? (laughs) It means atonement. It means atonement. Jesus is our atonement. And he himself, verse 2, he's a propitiation. But not for our sins only, but also for the whole world. You ever notice that? This does not mean, however, that everyone will be saved. There is a, a movement that's called, or a, a, it's a, it's something that people hold to. It's called universal salvation. And the, and the idea behind it is that eventually everyone will be saved. And ve- you know, All roads lead to God, no matter if you're a Buddhist, a, a Hinduist, if you're a Muslim, uh, whatever you're at, you, you know, ultimately you're going to go to heaven. But the salvation is available to every single human soul. 
But we know that not every human soul is going to receive Christ. So not everyone will be saved. Would to God that would be true. Wouldn't that be the most glorifying thing to God to have his son die on the cross and the whole world come to him and say, you know what, we agree with this. We receive you, Lord. But universal salvation is not true. And let me tell you something, all roads do lead to God. And you may say to yourself, I can't believe you're saying that. Well, ultimately, everyone will stand before the Lord. Everyone will stand. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23, God says, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. Every tongue, regardless of whether you're a believer or unbeliever, you will bow before Jesus. For us, it'll be very easy. We will bow before him. But there's coming a time in the future when even unbelievers in their condemnation will stand before Jesus and they will bow and they will speak and they will say that Jesus Christ is God to the glory of God the Father. What does Paul say in Philippians? uh, Paul, speaking of Jesus, he says, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to what? To the glory of God the Father. Everyone will stand. For us, it'll be, we do it now. We do it when we worship, and certainly one day when we stand before him at the Bema Seat judgment, which is a, a good judgment where we receive rewards for what we've done in the body, we will do that. We will, we will bow to him. We will confess with our mouth these things. But the Bible also said for the unbeliever, and you can read about it in Revelation chapter 20, uh, in verses 11 through 15, it's called the white throne judgment. Unbelievers, before they are condemned to Gehenna, the, the final eternal resting place for the wicked, where the devil and the false prophet are, and everyone who has rejected Christ will spend an eternity in a lake of fire, and they will receive a new body that can withstand the torture of that flame. And before they are sent to their final doom, which will last for eternity, folks, They will bow before the great king. I don't know about you, but that just crushes me. Does it crush you? To think, I mean, can you imagine the horror of knowing that you've rejected this one all of your life? People have been telling me all my life about Jesus, but I'm doing my thing. I did it my way. (laughs) I'm going to do it my way. Well, your way is wrong. Your way is going to lead you to separation from God for an eternity in flame that will never be quenched. Folks, this is serious. This is one of the bites of the gospel. This is one of the things that nobody likes to talk about, but it must be spoken. God's love is so great. His love is so great. He, he, it's not his will that any should perish, right? So look at verse 3. It says, Now we know, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. This word know is a Greek word called gnosko, and it, it, it's, a, it's, an, it's an intimacy. It's, it's a, a word that's experiential knowledge. It, it's not just knowing the facts. It's knowing by experience, knowing intimately. In fact, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, the angel telling Joseph that the child that was in Mary was going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, and it says that, and and, and and, and, and did not know her, Joseph, he didn't know her. And the same word as gnosko, it actually can mean also physical intimacy between a husband and a wife. 
That's how intimate the word is. It's experiential. It's intimate. And, and it says, And Joseph did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. They didn't have intimacy. I'm sorry that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as we continue our study in John's epistles. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.